So we've started a new uh, sermon series on the Gospel of John, also known as the Fourth Gospel. Um, And I'm recommending a book to you by my friend Adam Hamilton that's called John, the Gospel of Light and Life. If you would like a resource in your small group and your uh, devotional life, it's a very good one. I will tell you, this is a pastor in Kansas City. And so we've been back and forth this week about the game this afternoon. Um, So I'll be anxious to see who wins. If uh, the Titans win, he is coming to speak here at Woodmont. So I'm excited uh, about that. But let me... um, remind you of a couple things that I said last week. John is the fourth gospel. It's different from the first three that we call the synoptic gospels. I gave you an overview of John's gospel last week, and we talked about the inaugural scene where Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding celebration in Cana of Galilee, but today we move further ahead in chapter two. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you got really angry? When was the last time that something happened that upset you so much that you lashed out or you said something that perhaps you regretted? Let me ask you another question. What are the things in life, in this world, that make you angry, but you feel as though you are justified in your anger? Is it related to politics? Is it related to the way your family members behave or treat one another? Is it related to an injustice that you see in the world? Can you name something in life that makes you angry, but you feel justified in your anger? Today we find Jesus cleansing the temple during the Passover. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this happens at the end of the Gospels. It happens at the beginning of Holy Week, after Palm Sunday, after he enters Jerusalem uh, on the donkey. But in John's Gospel, we find this right at the very beginning, in chapter 2, after the wedding in Cana. Which account is right? Uh, I would tell you that we don't know exactly. It seems more likely that this would have happened during Holy Week, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, leading up to his arrest and crucifixion. But what we do know is that this happened. And John may have put it at the beginning of the gospel to make the clear statement that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Because remember, that was the point of John's gospel, to make sure that everybody knew Jesus was the Messiah and that if we come to believe in him, we may have fullness of life. Here's what John says. The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves, and the money changers were seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. Now in the synoptics, he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And this aligns with Isaiah 56 that Pharaoh read, which describes the temple as a house of prayer for all the nations, for all the people. This was consistent with Old Testament prophecy. Why did Jesus get so angry when he got to the temple? Why did he make a whip? And turn over the tables and drive out the money changers. Why did he do this? Three thoughts. First, he was angry because the house of God was being desecrated. The temple was a place of worship. 
It was the place in Jerusalem where Jews gathered from all over uh, to worship and to encounter God. It was believed at that time that there were probably over two, maybe two and a quarter million people in Jerusalem for the Passover. The law said that any Jew that was 19 years old or older that lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem had to come to the temple to celebrate Passover. They didn't have an option. And so when Jesus got to the temple, what he saw was not a bunch of people gathering to worship for the right reasons, but a commercial circus that was focused on just about everything other than worshiping God. It was chaotic. It was wild. And Jesus did not like it. He was upset. It's interesting to ask the question for us, how can the church be guilty of this very thing? When are the times that Christians are distracted or are gathering at the church for the wrong reasons? Um, I love this quote by American scholar Sam Pascoe because it makes you think. He says, Christianity was born in Israel only to be taken to Greece and morphed into a philosophy. From there it was taken to Rome and made into an institution of civil power. Eventually it migrated to Europe where it was developed into a culture. And later it was brought to America and made into an entrepreneurial business enterprise. And I find this fascinating because there are certain people who only look at Christianity as a means to accomplish something else. Making business deals, making business connections, using their faith at the negotiating table to say, I'm a good guy, I'm a Christian, do this deal with me. A close friend of mine who passed away a few years ago, he once told me, and he was a very successful businessman, but he said, Clay, you know the worst people that I've found, the worst people to do business with in this world? I said, no, who's that? He said, the born-again Christians. <laughs> he says, the ones that bring their faith up at the negotiating table. He said, I've been burned more by them than by anybody else. We know that politicians use Christianity on both sides to motivate their, their voting base. Jesus got angry because he saw that the temple was being manipulated and it was being used for secular purposes. Secondly, Jesus got angry at the temple because he had basically had it with this whole concept of animal sacrifice. This is what was driving a lot of these transactions. So Jesus acted to show that no amount of animal sacrifice can ever put a person right with God. That's just not the way it works. Isaiah says, I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. You know, the belief back then was that you had to offer some type of animal sacrifice at the temple to please God, but the animal could not have any type of blemish on it. So people would wait until they got to Jerusalem and got to the temple to then purchase the animal so that then they could go and sacrifice it. And they had to pay a premium for these animals, the goats, the doves, you name it. So it's kind of like when you go to Disney World and you need a Coke, and they say, that'll be $9. And you say, thank you, and you take your Coke. Or you want a Mickey Mouse, stuffed Mickey Mouse, that'll be $45. Thank you very much. You take it. You don't have a choice. But Jesus was fed up, and he said, you know, you've got it wrong. God does not want your animal sacrifices and your burnt offerings. What God wants is your heart. 
And that's what God wants from us. He wants our heart. He wants us devoted to loving each other, to caring for those who are hurting. God is concerned with our hearts and with our motives. You know, we're building a a new building uh, here at Woodmont because we need more space to grow. But once we gather to worship in the new chapel or our children go down to to the new kids area, we still need to remember that what God wants and demands is our heart, not just a building. Sometimes as Christians, we can get so caught up in the goings and doings and the busyness of Christianity that we forget that what God really wants is our heart, nothing less. Third, Jesus got angry because there were people, mostly Gentiles, specifically Gentiles, who were trying to come to the temple to pray, but they could not focus because of everything that was going on. William Barclay puts it this way in his commentary. He says, the buying and the selling, the exchanging of money, the exploitation of the poor, the lowing of oxen, the bleeding of sheep, the cooing of doves, the shouts of the hucksters, the rattle of the coins, the bargaining disputes, all of this noise was keeping people from focusing on why they were there in the first place, to worship God and to pray. There was only one place in the temple where the Gentiles were allowed. It was called the court of Gentiles. The other parts, the court of the Israelites, the court of the priests, that was off limits to the Gentiles. So all of this activity, all of this hubbub was going on in the court of Gentiles. And this is what made Jesus angry. Because if there was a chance that the Gentiles could come to know God or come to experience a a profound sense of God's presence, it had to happen in the court of Gentiles. And with all of this craziness going on, it was not very likely that it was going to happen. They couldn't focus. They couldn't pray. They couldn't reflect. And so I think that's, again, a good question for churches to ask. What are the things that we do that can keep new people from feeling welcome? Exclusivity, a lack of hospitality, telling somebody, hey, you're in my seat or in my pew, not creating a hospitable environment with warmth. All of these things are very important in the life of any church. And in any church, we could still acknowledge that there are distractions that often keep people, prevent people from worshiping God. These are some of the reasons why Jesus got so upset when he went into the temple. He showed righteous anger. He cleansed the temple. He was fed up. And it was this brave action in the temple that made the religious leaders and the authorities very suspicious of Jesus. They were paying very close attention. Now, let me tell you a story about somebody else, another guy who also got fed up. This particular guy lived in the middle of the 20th century. He was born in Atlanta. He attended Morehouse College. He got his Master of Divinity from Crozier Theological Seminary. He earned a PhD from Boston University. His name was Martin. He was a minister and he was an activist. I'm talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Why did he get angry? He got angry because He lived in a country whose founding documents said that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, but yet he knew that that wasn't the reality. 
the laws at the time discriminated against people of color. They had to go to the back of the bus. They had to use different restrooms and different water fountains. They had to go to different schools. And Martin knew that that wasn't right, so he decided to do something about it. And using his Christian faith as his main motivation, Martin decided to shine a spotlight on the issue of racial discrimination. He organized marches in the streets, and he did it nonviolently. He organized sit-ins at lunch counters, and, and then people saw with their own eyes how poorly African Americans were treated, how they were beaten for just sitting there trying to have lunch, even in downtown Nashville. He preached from the pulpit. He gave a powerful speech in Washington, D.C., where he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He also said a few other things. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. Do you remember that? He said, I've decided to stick with love because hate is too great of a burden to bear. People who fail to get along because they fail to get along because they fear each other and they fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other. Darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And so this weekend, we remember and we honor King's legacy. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And we commit ourselves to judging others by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. I want to close today by saying this. Anger is usually a very unhealthy emotion. And most of the time when we get angry, we do things and we say things that we regret and that we'd like to take back. Anger can cause us to lash out at people and at situations in unhealthy ways. But there are certain things in life that deserve righteous anger. Jesus knew this, so did Martin Luther King. What are those things? Everybody has to answer that question for themselves. But I think it's things like racism and bigotry, poverty and homelessness, lack of access to basic quality education, injustice and people taking advantage of the poor, there are certain things that should evoke righteous anger. There are certain things that we must get upset about and not just be complacent and say, well, it doesn't affect me, but we should be motivated to go and actually do something about it. I graduated from Princeton Seminary uh, along with Donovan um, in 2005, May of 2005. And one of the most memorable parts of that weekend, Donovan, I don't know, I'm sure you remember this. It was our baccalaureate address that happened at Nassau Presbyterian Church right there in downtown Princeton. It was delivered by a New Testament professor named Brian Blunt. And the title of his talk was Pick a Fight. <laughs> Just what you need to tell a bunch of seminarians as they head out into the world, right? But here's what Dr. Blunt said towards the end of that talk. He said, you know the issues, you know the troubles of our world. Are you or are you not going to pick a fight with and against those troubles? You know about racial profiling and ethnic cleansing. Pick a fight. You know about political cynicism and cynical politicians. Pick a fight. 
You know about international banking and individual portfolios and global impoverishment? Pick a fight. You know about a world where the 200 richest people hold roughly eight times as much money and assets as the population of the 43 poorest countries? What kind of equation is that? Pick a fight. You know, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, that just a few years ago, 41% of the poor people in the United States were living at 50% or less of the poverty line. Pick a fight. You know the Bible. You know the Jesus who stars in it. If preemptive war on the one hand and the allowance of genocide on the other hand aren't the kinds of things that you think Jesus would have stood for, then you ought to be standing up in somebody's face picking a fight. And he closed by saying, so go. Holding your theology degree with one hand and the power of the Holy Spirit in the other hand, and for God's sake, he said, pick a fight. Now, I'm really not a fan of people just picking fights every day, to be honest with you. But there are certain things in our world that need attention. Certain things in our world that we need to pay attention to, that we need to stand up for, that we need to take seriously because they are not right. And so it was one of those addresses that Dr. Blunt gave that has always stuck with me. He was a New Testament scholar. He became the president of Union Theological Seminary in Virginia. And he was asking us the basic question, and I'm asking it to you this morning. What do you stand for? What will you speak up for? What is it in life that deserves our attention? And yes, it might even deserve a little bit of righteous anger. And if you find it, then go pick a fight. Amen.